I think one of the great pleasures of our good earth is enjoying the beauty and appreciating all the hard work that goes into making a great garden display. The English seem to have perfected gardening into a fine art. I like how they bring green spaces that everyone can enjoy right into the heart of the city. That's why London is so appreciated for really top-notch public gardens and botanical collections. Tour guides Elizabeth Boardman and Jeannie Carmichael join us now with their expert advice on gardens that you should plan to visit next time you're in London. Jeannie and Liz, thanks for being here. Thank you, Pleasure. I just love this notion that London is a massive city, but it also claims to be the greenest city in all of Europe. Possibly in the world, Rick. 47% of London's area is green space. Green space. And we have 3,000 gardens. These are not just uh, parks, but these are gardens, because from my experience... The English love to garden. We love our gardens, Rick. We tend to compare ourselves with our gardens as Americans with their cars. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Well, that's pretty impressive because we love our cars. (laughs) So, Jeannie, if you're thinking about a great example of a garden somebody might want to visit to make their visit to London a little more fragrant and relaxing, what would it be? Well, one of my very favorite gardens is the Chelsea Physic Garden. Have you ever been there? No, Chelsea Physic Garden. Yes, it's on the River Thames, uh-huh. and it was founded in the 17th century as a place where doctors could come and learn about different medicinal plants and herbs. And all of these plants and herbs are labeled, and it tells you what they're useful for, what so illness they will the cure. the experience is, as a tourist, we would go in there and we'd see these, just like 300 years ago, doctors Absolutely. would come here and, and you'd see them labeled about what their name is, the Indeed. Name or whatever, and then what medicinal purposes it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. I, I find that fascinating. It is beautiful. And where was that? That's in Chelsea on the river. Okay. It's five minutes walk from where the Chelsea Flower Show is. So the Chelsea Physic Physic Garden, Garden yes. Nice. Liz, what's another garden we might want to be aware of on our trip to London? Well, I think for many of us, you've probably heard of the Royal Botanic Gardens, but these are also known as Kew Gardens. Ah, yeah. And Kew Gardens is one of these visits that you can do any time of the year. In the spring, they've got millions of bulbs that come into bloom, and we've got the cherry blossom tree, which is just fabulous to see. In the summer, again, with this full riot of colour, and by the autumn, it's stunning. But one of the new things that they've actually created there is actually the glass walkway, 18 metres high. You can actually get a beautiful perspective. Oh, a glass walkway up. That's what, 18 metres, that that would be 60 feet above the ground. And it's 200 metres long and you're looking down on some of the horse chestnut trees, some of the oak trees, a completely different perspective. I love that. Now, is that in the open or is that under a glass? That's in the open. But again, with Kew Gardens, we tend to think of those beautiful Victorian greenhouses, the glass houses. Because you go in there and it's a a trip to the tropics. Exactly. And again, another reason why it's all season. It's beautifully warm in there. So in the the dreary dead of winter, you (laughs) take a a little trip out to Kew from London. Easy to do. You can pretend you're in the Caribbean. (laughs) And and each greenhouse has, I, I remember there's a water lilies section. There is. There's a carnivorous plant section. (laughs) And there's just this very, very uh, humid, um, mucky, hot, tropical, thick jungle you go through. It's transporting you to a different side of London and a different perspective with us with our gardens, not the type of thing that we tend to, obviously, we can grow ourselves. But to be able to see them, we've got the Victorians to thank for that. So that goes back to Victorian times, basically 150 years ago. And it, it gives you just an inkling of how sophisticated Victorian society was and how tuned into the world and nature and science they were.
Definitely. And it's a connection with us today. You know, we have really Prince Albert, Queen Victoria's husband, to thank a lot for some of the magnificent gardens and throughout the UK, the arboretums that we have as well. So when we think of Victorian times, Queen Victoria ruled a long, long time. How many years? 70 years or something 70, like that. 70, if not yeah. She died just around the turn of the century, right? Definitely. 1900. The last half of the 1800s, Victorian. Yes. A great tip when you go to Kew Gardens is to pick up the seasonal sheet in the beginning so you know what's blooming now. Because yes. Because it depends on what month where you really want to be. Exactly. You know, at the beginning we were saying it, it really is a visit for all seasons, right. but there's going to be things that are, are coming in blooms. Laburnums in the You can the get March. there by boat, can't you, from downtown London? Yes, you can, just along the Thames. Cruising, Beautiful way to enter. Cruising up the Thames. Beautiful way to enter. I love it. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Jeannie Carmichael and Liz Boardman. We're talking about gardens in and near London. Jeannie, what's another garden we'd want to check out? Oh, I absolutely love Holland Park. Holland Park. Now, I know that because I stayed in the youth hostel there for many, many years. (laughs) Yes. The Holland Park Youth Mm -hmm. Hostel. Well, you'll know then what a fabulous place it is. I used to walk through that garden. There was oftentimes a a game of cricket going on. Well, it it used to be the estate of Lord Holland. Okay. When you stayed in the youth hostel, you remember it was built on the side of that ruined stately home? Uh Uh-huh which dates to the early 1600s. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so what are we going to see in Holland Park? Oh, what is wonderful about Holland Park? It's planted in different ways. The north of the park is quite wild. Uh Uh-huh. Then you have beautiful sort of manicured beds and lawns. But my favourite part of it is the Kyoto Garden. Um, In 1991, Prince Charles got together with the Crown Prince of Japan. So this is like Kyoto, the city in Japan. Yes, absolutely. And Uh they invited gardeners to come from Kyoto. Ah, who couldn't speak a word of English, and they worked with the English gardeners and just pointed and pushed. But I bet the gardeners kind of spoke they, a similar language They spoke language garden of talk. Garden that was talk. fine, yes. <laughs> nice. And they've created the most exquisite Japanese garden. We're looking at our favorite gardens in London right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Our guides are Liz Boardman and Jeannie Carmichael. And Linda's calling in from Rochester in Minnesota. Linda, have you enjoyed any of the gardens in London? I have. I enjoy all the gardens in the UK, Rick. My question would be, I was surprised by a hidden waterfall in Regent's Park and the roses at the Queen Mary's Garden. The roses weren't blooming. I was there in May. So what's the best time to see the roses in, in bloom? I would say June. And some years ago, I was lucky enough to lead um, a tour with the American Rose Society, and they said to me that those were some of the most beautiful roses they had ever seen. And where exactly were those? That's in Regent's Park in the Queen Mary Rose Gardens. So June, July, but of course, as you know, it depends on the weather, doesn't it? Now, there's a rose garden in Hyde Park also, I yes. believe, kind of close to um, Herod's on that side. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll, you'll see this, and it's just lining the road, and you can pop in there, and it's a delightful place. I, I used to buy my takeaway lunch from Harrods, and I would eat it in the Rose Garden there in Hyde Park. It was wonderful. <laughs> when you go to London and you're interested in flowers, I think the Chelsea Flower Show is, is quite a hit. The Chelsea Flower Show, I've been there two years and, uh, in a row, and one thing I learned is if you join the Chelsea organization, you can get in as a member, and you get a monthly magazine. Um, they even mail it to the States, And the money then goes to support a good cause. The first time I went, I was on sensory overload between the smells and the sights, the colors. I had never been to anything like it. It's worth knowing about the Chelsea 
flower show if you love flowers, and uh, it's, it's probably like nothing you've ever seen. It is. It's nothing like you've ever seen. And then as a member, there are also other flower shows um, if you're in the country through different times of the year that the car gets you in many times for free. Linda, is the Chelsea Flower Show just uh, once a year? What is the season for that? It's in May, the second or third week in May. Linda, thanks for your call. Thank you. Dean's calling in Shoreline, Washington. Dean, have you been to the gardens in London? Um, yes, I have, Rick. What is your favorite memory? One of my favorite memories of London's gardens is in Kensington Gardens. I was actually in the Army in London for six months, and I got to walk through Kensington Gardens each day to the school that I was going to. One of the fun stories that I had heard about Kensington Gardens was the Peter Pan statue that was there and that the Peter Pan statue had been put up overnight so that in the morning it would be a surprise for the children there in London. Well, that's a sweet story. So that's one of my stories. And then the other one that I liked was the Forsythia displays in Kensington Gardens because the superintendent of the Kensington Gardens was Mr. Forsyth from Scotland. Anyway, he was in charge of sending out expeditions for the British to get new plants to bring back to Britain and everything. And he got to name one of the plants after himself? Somebody did, yes. Forsythia, for Mr. Forsyth. Yes, and there are huge banks of the Forsythia there in Kensington Gardens at the right time of the year. So now, when you go to London, you've got Kensington Palace, which is quite famous, but the gardens itself are quite nice. There's an orangery there, I believe, where you have a tea. Lovely afternoon and tea, Jeannie, yes. can you talk about the afternoon tea at Kensington Park Gardens? Oh, it's a proper traditional afternoon tea with thinly cut cucumber sandwiches. Oh, talk scones. dirty to me. <laughs> Slathered with clotted cream and Slay jam. more. <laughs> Yummy cakes, oh. lashings of tea. Mm. <laughs> it's fabulous. Surrounded by London's most elegant, plus tourists. Indeed. It's a great tea mm. at the Orangery next to Kensington Palace. Indeed. What else would we find in Kensington Park? Of course, there's the Princess Diana Fountain. Explain. Well, when the princess passed, we thought long and hard as to a really good memorial for her. Mm-hmm. The first one was actually a children's playground in Kensington Park. Uh-huh. And because J.M. Barry, the writer who wrote Peter Pan, lived on the edge of the park... Oh, that would make sense. That's why um, he actually was inspired to write Peter Pan mm. by meeting five little boys in mm. the park. Peter was a real boy, and the lost boys are his brothers. For, for Princess Diana fans, we've got this uh, yeah. special white garden dedicated Absolutely. to honour her. We've got uh, Mary Poppins' floor, and also there's an Italian garden there. Oh, it's beautiful, the Italian garden. That's in the north of the park. People tend to miss that, and it's exquisite. So much to see. Hey, Dean, thanks for taking us to Kensington Gardens. You're welcome. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're celebrating the Gardens of London, and we're joined by two London guides, Jeannie Carmichael and Liz Boardman. Liz, when I go to Buckingham Palace for the changing of the guard, St. James Park is right there. And all the mobs of people come in to see the changing of the guards, and they mob back out, and they miss St. James. They're missing a treat. They are really missing a treat. As you said, St. James's garden is actually between Buckingham Palace and Trafalgar Square, right in the centre of London. 
an oasis of greenery and a little bit of tranquility, there's nothing better than to just get some light lunch and sit in that St. James's Park. Because there's a little lake. There's the lake there. We've got pelicans on the lake. Delightful birds. In fact, they actually do a special feeding of the pelicans at 2.30 from Duck Cottage, which is in the park itself. So those are the little tidbits of information that make a visit nicer. And plus the fact, if you've taken your lunch down there, if the weather's good, you're in the middle of this beautiful greenery. There's obviously the plants in bloom as well, depending on the seasons. You can be looking at Buckingham Palace. You can be looking at Horse Guards Parade. You Mm -hmm. can see the Millennium Wheel going Mm -hmm. around. You're in the middle of London, but you're out of all the hustle and bustle. There's a dimension to London that really is one of a kind as far Mm. as people-friendly elegance with nature and your heritage. You find these rather overlooked unappreciated monuments that really should be more celebrated as you go through the parks to a lot of monuments. There's so much woven together in these parks. Jeannie, how about gardens that are incorporated into architecture? To celebrate our Olympics, you see, we took an area of what had been really dirty, polluted industrial land, 500 acres of it, knocked down the industry, dug up all the soil, washed it in huge industrial washing machines extracted the poisons, put the soil back and planted it as the most fabulous new park with lots of sporting buildings in it as well, of course. And what's this called? It's called the Olympic Park, the Queen Elizabeth II Park. And you can get there in 10 minutes on the underground from London. Now, they asked who is arguably the world's greatest gardener called Pete Mondrian. He's a Dutch genius to come and advise, as well as English gardeners. And there's all different kinds of planting there. But there's also, you can go into all of the sports venues. There's a very tall sculpture in the park called the Orbit. And you can go up the Orbit and the world's longest slide comes down from it. You put on a helmet and you whiz at high speeds down the slide. I did that to celebrate my 21st again birthday recently with 10 friends. You guys are filling me with desire to go back (laughs) to London because I thought I knew the city so thoroughly and there's all these, a lot of them are new, like the Olympic Park. Mm -hmm. And what a heroic effort and beautiful nature. You can swim in the Olympic pool. This is gorgeous, the Olympic Park. And Liz, give us another example of a, a creative mixing of modern architecture and people's opportunity to enjoy a park. I'd really like to tell you about the Sky Garden. The Sky Garden is a little hidden gem as far as I'm concerned. The official address is number 20 Frenchert Street, but many of us know the building as the walkie-talkie. Obviously, we like to nickname our buildings. Oh, yeah, it's that and it's a skyscraper. that looks like an old walkie-talkie. That's the one. Okay. Yeah, that's the one. And at the very top is actually the Sky Garden. Now, the Sky Garden has been created like a huge conservatory, and there are bars there, there's restaurants there, but you're 38 stories up. The views are 360 degrees across London. Uh, The most beautiful thing about it, it's free. It's free? It's free. Because to go up to some of the skyscrapers in London cost 20 pounds or something. Just across the Thames from the uh, Sky Garden, you've got the Shard. And as you said, to to get the lift to the top of the Shard, you'd be talking of about 25 pounds. But you can go to the Sky Garden, you can be looking at the Shard, you're looking down on the River Thames. So you get out your (laughs) walkie-talkie. Sky Garden, top of (laughs) walkie-talkie. How many floors up? 38 stories. 38 stories up. It's free. It's It's free. free. But again, book tickets in advance. Oh, book tickets in advance. That's <laughs> yeah. a great advice. And I do understand when you're building a skyscraper, if you're messing up people's sight lines or if you're taking a lot of uh, real estate up, you have to provide the public kind of a park or some kind of a view access and so on. You do. Just outside of St. Paul's Church, there's a big modern office park. 
Do you know about this? Park? Yes, new change. New change. That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely, high speed lifts, and they whiz you to the top. So you're looking at this. St. Paul's, and you're kind of stretching your neck up, and then you realize, oh wait a minute, I'll go across the street, whisk yourself up to this, and sure, there's a little. It's free. It's sort of an astroturf green area. Yes, indeed. And there's an elegant cocktail bar there, and you're welcome to enjoy the view looking over at the dome. Yes. Instead of up at the dome. And it saves you climbing up the 526 steps. Now that's, that's <laughs> a very nice tip right there. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking parks in London with Jeannie Carmichael and Liz Boardman. And Jeannie, with all of this excitement about parks, there's a new museum in London, I believe, dedicated to the history of gardening. Can you tell us about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Well, the museum itself is not new, but it's just reopened after a £12 million refurbishment. There you go, yeah. And it was uh, an old church just across the river from the Houses of Parliament. But it lost its congregation, so they've turned it into the Museum of Garden History. Across from the Halls of Parliament? Yeah, just the other side of the river, just close to the Imperial War Museum. You could walk there from, oh, gosh, from Big yes. Ben, yeah, t- 10-minute walk from Big yeah. Ben. And this is the Museum of Garden History. And what are you going to find? Oh, it's beautifully done. It walks you through the history of garden design. And it explains to you how different plants were brought into this country over the passage of time. It tells you about famous gardeners. Oh, this new development built onto it, it's exquisite architecture on an old church. Oh, it's wonderful. And all these gardens in London are, are not a new thing. For centuries, thoughtful people, powerful people, um, people who are interested in botany have had this passion for plant life all over the planet, and it comes back to London. Indeed. The, you know, the sun never sets on the British Empire and uh, the sun never sets on all the amazing plants and flowers that you can experience in London if you know where to go. Uh, well, Kew is the place for that because for sure. the explorers brought back plants that have died out in their own country. And they so live Kew in is a living museum of plant life. It's mind-blowing. This has been a wonderful conversation. Jeannie Carmichael, Liz Boardman, thanks so much for sharing a little bit of a more green and relaxing side of London after all of the heavy museum going and all the traffic and crowds we endure to see those great attractions. It is nice to know that even in one of the most demanding and earth-shaking cities on our itinerary, we can take a moment and enjoy the natural beauty of things in a park and in London. There's no shortage of that. Thanks so much for being with us. Our pleasure. Thank you. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from more than 40 different vacations in Europe's best destinations, from Ireland to Greece, and practically everywhere in between. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.